Welcome to the Strong Mamas Podcast, where we're talking about our fitness and food choices as moms in real life and in light of our faith as Christ followers. I'm your host, Megan Dahlman, and together we'll be exploring what it means to be a healthy, strong mama in the middle of a culture that's obsessed with vanity. This podcast is all about helping and equipping you to take better care of yourself and the ones you love. Okay, guys, here we go. Season two. Can you believe it? (laughs) In season one, we covered a lot of territory, and I know a lot of you guys have been listening from the very beginning, and hopefully thinking back over the whole last year with all 50 episodes, my hope is that you feel a lot more informed and maybe even a little smarter when it comes to your body. To be entirely honest with you, I really wasn't sure if this podcast was going to work. (laughs) It's a lot of technical stuff to figure out, and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to figure out all the technical stuff, and I didn't know if anybody was even going to listen, and do I even have a good listening voice? And I knew I could write, and I enjoyed writing. I had spent years blogging, but podcasting, this was a brand new arena for me, and I just wasn't sure, but true to form... I mean, always, when God has an agenda, he makes sure to push it forward and make it happen one way or another. Despite my stubbornness, (laughs) he busted through and made this happen. And one thing I've learned from this podcast, even from writing a blog for years beforehand and from every step of the way with Strong Mamas, is that God has a plan for the hearts of women, for moms especially, and for their bodies. And this struck me the most when we had our second Strong Mamas retreat last year. The whole weekend, I was in awe of how Strong Mamas, it just felt so much bigger than me. How it has brought women together under the umbrella of fitness and nutrition and just health in general but all of that to the glory of God. And it is just so cool to be part of a movement where where moms are getting strong and confident and feeling better in their bodies, but they're not also having to figure out how to precariously juggle it with their faith in Christ and needing to run everything through a filter that sifts out all the vanity and the self-worship aspects of a program. Strong Mamas is always, it's always ever been about just good instruction and the very best coaching, but with Jesus in the center of it all. I just love it. I hope you've been loving it too. And my hope is that even through this podcast and as we step into season two, that you will grow in both your knowledge about your body, your appreciation for your body, and mature in your walk with the Lord as well. In season one episodes, I have to say we were pretty random and a lot of one-off topics. Every week we covered something different, whether it was about nutrition, fitness, mindset strategies, and even heart issues when it comes to our bodies, perspectives, and attitudes. And if you've missed any of the episodes from season one, you need to go back and catch up. They're all worth the listen. 
Now, in season two, we will be bringing you more in-depth topical series, okay? You can look forward to several episodes on the individual macronutrients of proteins, fats, and carbs. So we're going to go into a little bit more detail there for a, a few episodes in a row. We're also going to be spending a series talking about just typical injuries that I know you guys deal with on a regular basis, so kind of an injury series, which I know will be helpful for you. I also want to do a series talking about motivation and consistency and just ways that you can keep your head in the game and stay stay inspired. And all of it, every episode, it's it's always going to be filtered through the truth of the gospel and how God loves us and what he says about our bodies. So to really kick things off for season two, I feel like it's only fitting to begin with a strong mom series and just mom body specific issues, right? And even the month of May, this is the month of Mother's Day. I I feel like it's very fitting, right? So we're gonna be talking about prenatal and postpartum strength training and exercise in an upcoming episode. We're also gonna talk about nutrition during pregnancy and how to eat while you're breastfeeding, so more nutrition-specific information. I'd also like to spend an entire episode talking through some common postpartum mental challenges like depression and anxiety, and I, I also wanna share my own battles with postpartum depression. Some of you have heard my own story, but I I want to dig into it a little deeper on an upcoming episode. But to kick things off, on today's episode, we're going to jump to the other bookend of our female bodies and talk all about menopause and perimenopause, which is part of the reason why my co-host Scott is not on the show with me today. I didn't think he really wanted to talk about menopause with me today, and that's okay. He'll be back with us in another upcoming episode, I'm sure. So you might be in perimenopause right now. You could be out the other side of it, or you could feel like it's a long ways off. Regardless, I know our discussion today will be extremely valuable no matter what. I know for myself, as a 36-year-old, it does still feel a little ways off, but I'm telling you, having this information and knowing what to expect and kind of having my antenna up and my radar up about certain symptoms and how to handle it when it does come, it, it helps me feel far more prepared for what is inevitably coming, okay? And hopefully you want to feel the same way. Now, before we get into all things menopause, I want to highlight you guys, the Strong Mamas listeners, and really without you, this podcast would be nothing. And I especially want to thank you for all the reviews and ratings that you have left. And recently, Mayor Faith, she said, I've been following the Strong Mamas blog for a while and was so excited when she added her podcast. Great practical info that isn't overwhelming. Let's you know we all struggle with various aspects of our health and reinforces God's continuous grace. Yes, that's exactly right. And if you haven't left a review yet on iTunes, you guys, I would appreciate it like crazy. Now, I know a bunch of you don't listen on iTunes and you said to me, like, how can I help the podcast grow and reach more people if I can't leave a review? So the other thing that you can do is press pause right now and take a screenshot of this episode on your phone. 
And then you can share that screenshot on Facebook or on Instagram or even send it directly to your friends. And if you post it on Instagram, you should definitely tag me in it at strong underscore mamas. Or if you're posting it on Facebook, you can tag me at strong mamas, all one word. And mamas is always spelled M-O-M-M-A-S. And by you tagging me, this lets me be able to see you and get to know you more too. That way it's more of a two-way conversation, which I love. All right, friends. Now, without further ado, let's talk all things menopause. Menopause. Oh boy. Why does this word have to sound so ugly? (laughs) I think the moment the subject of menopause is breached in our minds, we have this feeling of doom, maybe a sense of failure, like a physical failure, like my body is starting to fall apart. And just this idea that, okay, this is the beginning of the end. Oh, man. And in our 20s and 30s, we tend to undergo a sort of grieving process for what our pre-baby body was like. And we have to face the reality of what a postpartum body is like. Which, of course, by the way, you guys, we can soon realize that our postpartum bodies are still quite amazing. And in most cases, are capable of as much, if not more, than our younger bodies. And it always seems, though, that as soon as we learn to accept and love our postpartum bodies and feel good and strong and confident in them, a whole new curveball gets thrown at us in our 40s and 50s and things start to change again. Menopause. As women, I feel like our bodies just simply don't stay the same for very long, right? Especially if we have babies. Every decade seems like it brings a new experience with something new to learn about, something to wrestle with a new thing to accept, and then finally love. And honestly, none of this is accidental or unfair, and even though it can feel like that at times. Each phase and transition that our bodies go through has a phenomenal purpose, a design that God specifically intended for a reason. Whenever I study hormones and look at the way that hormones interact and the symphony that they play inside of our bodies. It just, that one aspect of our anatomy and physiology just boggles my mind. And I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty thoughtful (laughs) and helpful that God put a natural end to our childbirthing years. Thank you, Lord, right? (laughs) Okay, so what is menopause? What is it exactly? So menopause is technically when the ovaries stop releasing eggs and menstruation comes to a complete end, which is determined as the 365th day since your last period. So one full year after your last period. The timing of menopause is different for every woman, okay? But in the United States, 85% of women will have entered menopause by the age of 51. So it's not something that's pushed all the way back towards like 60 usually. For the majority, for average women, usually menopause is happening by 51, okay? The hormonal shutdown process, though, may take years leading up to that. It's not like you're feeling just fine, dun-dun-dun, you're going about your life, and then boom, all of a sudden menopause happens and now you're in menopause. 
the, it's a transition period. And this transition phase leading up to and then one year after that actual moment of menopause, which is that 365th day, that whole transition and then that one year afterward is called perimenopause. So peri, you've heard me say like peri-workout, peri, there's lots of peris, it's the, the perimeter, right? So it's the time surrounding and so perimenopause is the time surrounding that whole phase. And this phase can last for four to eight, sometimes even 10 years. And many factors can determine age of menopause, including your lifestyle, your diet, so the way that you eat, your individual genetics, maybe even your reproductive history, what your pregnancies were like, certain cultural factors too, and even social factors, and definitely your ethnicity as well. They all play a role in when, what menopause is going to be like for you. In general, it's somewhat difficult to determine if someone is transitioning into menopause or is in that perimenopause time. Irregular periods might be your first sign. So if you also experience some of the symptoms of menopause, like hot flashes, difficulty sleeping, and or mood swings, this could be another indicator. So if you're having some of your regular periods, maybe more frequent, maybe heavier, maybe less frequent, um, and you're also feeling some other symptoms that we're going to talk about in a minute, that could be an indicator that, okay, my hormones are starting to change a little bit. But because our hormone levels naturally fluctuate so much throughout our cycles, it's really difficult to say that you're transitioning to menopause just based on like a blood hormone test. So doing a blood test may not actually be helpful. However, if you're younger than 40 and you're a little suspicious about your symptoms, your doctor may choose to do a hormone test just to see. And you have to do it not just one moment in the middle of your cycle. You have to do it at very consistent times throughout your cycle to really see what's going on with your cycle. So with perimenopause that's leading up to menopause, what's actually happening? What's going on with your hormones specifically? So as we age, our hormone production slowly decreases. Our pituitary gland, which is located kind of tucked inside our brain, it normally produces a large enough dose of FSH. So FSH is a hormone, it stands for follicle stimulating hormone. And then also that pituitary gland produces another hormone called LH or luteinizing hormone. So these two hormones in turn they travel to our ovaries and they send signals to our ovaries that tell our ovaries to produce estrogen and progesterone in a well-balanced cycle. And that cycle builds up our uterine wall, it releases an egg, it sheds that uterine wall, and it does it all over again. And that's our menstrual cycle. So it's this interaction between the follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH, and LH, that luteinizing hormone, released from our pituitary gland, acting upon our ovaries, and it's this constant interaction. But as we age, we produce less and less hormones, especially the follicle-stimulating hormone and the luteinizing hormone. And those signals to your ovaries, they just become smaller and smaller and smaller. Or maybe just think about it like those signals are getting 
quieter. Almost like there's someone whispering to you from the other end of a football field and it's whispering to your ovaries to say, hey, release an egg. And no, it's so quiet. Your, your ovaries just are not going to hear that. And they're going to be like, yeah, I didn't hear any of that. I'm not going to do that. So that's part of what's happening is that as we get older, those signals start to get fainter, quieter, a little bit more dim. Okay. Another factor in play is that we store and release a significant amount of these sex hormones, um, the estrogen and progesterone, which we're going to talk a little bit more about in detail. We store a significant amount of those in body fat tissue, which is normally not a big deal. But as our ovary production declines, having excess body fat can really tip the hormonal scales in the wrong direction, making our body kind of really confused possibly intensifying the symptoms of menopause. So this is another great reason or motivation to make sure that our body fat percentage is in a healthy range during this stage of life. So that healthy range for women is somewhere around the 18 to 22% body fat mark. So let's look at progesterone specifically. So in general, the hormone progesterone takes a nosedive a lot more than estrogen. Between the ages of 35 and 50, progesterone will have declined by about 75%, a lot. Whereas estrogen will only have declined by like 35%. So they're both waning, they're both going down, but progesterone goes down a lot more. And in this situation, we get more estrogen than progesterone, and it's sometimes called estrogen dominance. And so somewhere around the age of 50, you have a significantly higher amount of estrogen compared to the amount of progesterone you have at any given time. And as you continue to age, so as you get into your 60s and beyond, that estrogen will continue to decline and it will eventually be more relative to progesterone again. But both hormones are at that point going to be both at very low levels. So it's really the the major symptoms that we experience during that perimenopause time have so much to do with the fact that you have such a big difference between the amount of estrogen you have at the moment and the amount of progesterone that you're producing at the moment. That's a lot of the issue. And many women with their doctor's recommendation, they will sometimes opt for some form of hormone replacement therapy, and it's usually that progesterone, just to bring it up a few notches so it's not so different from the estrogen. And it seems to help ease the symptoms of such a steep decline in that natural progesterone production. Um, But, you know, there's... There's positives and negatives to it, and that's definitely something, if you're curious, that you'll definitely want to discuss with your doctor. That's progesterone. It takes a deep nosedive, but what about estrogen? So there are actually three types of the hormone estrogen. So we've got estriol, and this particular estrogen hormone is produced primarily during pregnancy. We've got estradiol, And it's produced by the ovaries, and it's actually the most common through the majority of our life. And then we've got estrone, which is the most dominant during menopause. And estradiol is the most potent type of estrogen. It kind of has the strongest effects on our body. And estrogen, these are powerful little hormones, which makes many of the issues that women face during menopause 
much more understandable. Starts to all make a little bit more sense. So estradiol specifically, that really strong one that our bodies produce the majority of our life, it strongly influences how much and where the majority of our body fat is going to be deposited. It also influences how much muscle mass that we have on our body. And these estrogens, they also have properties that protect our cardiovascular system. And estradiol, it also stimulates bone formation and helps to inhibit bone breakdown. And another thing, interestingly enough, is that estradiol is a natural appetite suppressant. It also helps regulate body temperature, keep you a little bit more even keel, and it's associated with less of the enzymes that encourage fat storage, and it can help you use fat as a fuel source during exercise more readily. So estradiol, let me say all that again, okay? It's all going to start to make a little bit more sense. Estradiol It strongly influences how much and where your body fat is deposited, influences your muscle mass, it helps your bones, helps your cardiovascular system. So what do you think is going to happen to your body when that estradiol starts to tank? All of those symptoms that we see associated with menopause. And in fact, lower levels of estrogen in comparison with testosterone, which is something we haven't mentioned yet, Lower levels of estrogen are related to more of that intra-abdominal fat or the fat that's stored around your midsection. Now you can see why in the absence of estrogen or or specifically this estradiol, all of these things suddenly become an issue for you. It's all starting to make sense, right? So you're not going crazy (laughs) and you're like, why am I starting to store more fat? Nothing changed with my habits. What is going on? Or why do I suddenly have a much larger appetite? Why are my bones not as dense? Why am I suddenly at risk for cardiovascular issues? And why is my body temperature all over the place? You can blame your waning estrogen levels. So let's talk about the typical symptoms that you might experience during menopause. Each woman will experience menopause a little differently, although there are some symptoms that are pretty consistent, which I'm sure you're pretty well aware of. Hot flashes, that's a a normal one. Now you know it's because less estrogen in your system, your body temperature is more likely to be all over the place. Insomnia, that's another one that you might experience. Another common menopause symptom is mood swings and depression. Also, you're at more risk for osteoporosis and cardiovascular disease. You might also experience vaginal dryness, even some changes in your sex drive. You might also notice changes in your breast tissue. Some people also have digestion issues and some bloating from that. You might also experience fatigue and brain fog even. And of course, like I mentioned, you you might experience some of that difficulty losing body fat. Some other symptoms that have been associated with menopause is just feeling jittery um, and then also hair loss. And there's so many more. (laughs) Yay, so many more symptoms. It's awesome. Now, while one woman might experience a certain set of symptoms, very strongly, another woman could experience a whole other group of symptoms. So there's really no telling how exactly you're going to experience perimenopause and menopause. 
But as you've seen from what I said previously, when your progesterone and estrogen levels plummet, nearly every system in your body is affected in one way or another. Fortunately, though, you guys, silver lining, there are specific things that you can actively do to manage those symptoms and feel a little bit more even keel during perimenopause and then beyond, okay? Now, first of all, and this is kind of cheeky, but I need to say that there is no cure for menopause. (laughs) And I know that that sounds a little ridiculous because, duh, we all know that there's no cure It's going to happen no matter what. Fortunately, though, there are action steps that you can take to ease the transition and to really relieve the symptoms that you might be experiencing, okay? So to come out the other side of all of this feeling no worse for the wear, the most important things you can do are to be very physically active and to eat as healthy as possible. Yes, I know it almost always comes back to this, but you guys, the effects on your body on pretty much every single system of being physically active and eating healthy, it, it just nothing else compares. And honestly, the effects of having poor eating habits and being sedentary are dramatically increased during menopause. So if you used to have a little bit of wiggle room before, with your habits. Your wiggle room now is probably gone. If you used to be able to have like an ice cream cone on a random Wednesday night and not feel the effects of it, now that you have your hormones are starting to decrease, that wiggle room that you had, it it might not be there anymore and you just might need to be more disciplined. Same with your exercise habits. You might have been able to go a week without working out before, but now it is more important than ever. You just don't have that wiggle room anymore. Think of it like this. Imagine trying to run up a steep hill with a flood of water rushing down on you at the same time. Think about that. Like you're trying to run up a really steep hill and there's water rushing down on you. And that rushing flood of water coming down on you is your hormones. It's not impossible to get up the hill. You can still do it, but it's going to be much more difficult than when the flood of rushing water is not there. It's going to require more discipline, more consistency, and more intention than ever. So I don't want to sound like a negative Nelly here, but your efforts matter that much more right now. So let's talk about some tips for you for exercise first, okay? For menopausal women, these three things are the most important with your exercise. Number one is building and maintaining your muscle mass. Absolutely important, okay? The amount of muscle mass you have on your body is critical. Number two is stimulating your bone density. We need to keep your bones strong and dense, Number three important thing with exercise is improving your metabolic output or basically your metabolism or how much metabolic processes are happening in your body at any given moment. Fortunately, even though it sounds like three totally different things, there is one style of training that you can do all three of these things at the same time, and that is strength training or resistance training. And I say it all the time, the style of strength training that I always try to program, it's that functional strength training. When you do it properly, it's going to build and maintain your muscle mass, it's going to stimulate your bones, and it's going to improve your metabolism. It's awesome. It does it all at once. So you don't have to think of like, 
ooh, I have to do three different modes of exercise to work on these three different things. No, you can do it all at once. So with muscle mass, when you lift weights and move your body against a resistance, your muscles are challenged and stimulated to create more muscle tissue. Creating muscle tissue is very difficult to do without resistance. You can do it a little bit, but not as much as you need right now. You need to be pushing weights. You need to be pushing, pulling. You got to lift heavy things to make, to put your muscles under some sort of stress so they have to work hard. One added benefit of having more muscle mass on your body is that you're just going to be able to move so much better and maintain much better posture. I think as we look at women who are older and aging, it's clearer that many of them do not have good posture. They start to look and appear very hunched and they just don't move smoothly (laughs) in a way that looks comfortable. But the more muscle mass you have on your body, it's going to hold you into better posture and help you move and function in a way that feels good. So that's another major benefit of holding, of maintaining that muscle mass that you have on your body. The second thing that your exercise needs to do that I mentioned is your bone density. It has to stimulate your bone density. Your muscles, they're attached to your bones along the full length of your bones. And when your muscles contract against something heavy, against some heavy resistance, it pulls on those bones, which we know this because your limbs move in turn, right? And when your bones are repeatedly exposed to this type of muscle pull, they'll stimulate more bone cell production. Therefore, you end up with denser bones. So strength training, resistance training is really, really effective for improving and stimulating your bone density as you age. And the heavier the resistance, the more your bones are stimulated. Now, we've heard about like walking and other impact style exercises that also work to create denser bone structure. But for many menopausal women, walking and jogging is just not really an option and sometimes is downright uncomfortable. But fortunately, you guys, resistance training actually has an edge over other weight-bearing activities for its effectiveness in improving your bone density. So it's actually better (laughs) and more effective for your bones to do strength training, resistance training. The other benefit of strength and resistance training is your metabolism. The more muscle mass that you have on your body, the higher your metabolism, period. Most women assume that their metabolism just declines as they age and there's nothing they can do about it. Actually, a lot of your declining metabolism is largely due to declining amounts of muscle mass. So if you can preserve and build as much muscle mass as possible through the strength training, through that resistance training, your metabolic output is going to be a lot higher. And you'll have an easier time running up that metaphorical hill that I mentioned earlier, you know, where you have that flood of rushing hormones coming down on you and you're trying to maintain, you're trying to reach the top of the hill and actually get somewhere with your body. You're going to have a much better time if you have a faster, better metabolism. And keep this in mind, a faster metabolism equals less body fat storage. Okay, so that's another benefit too. Now, how much resistance training are we talking about? Is it like every single day you're supposed to lift weights? What if you don't know how to lift weights? Like, is walking even helpful? 
So to make sure that you're getting adequate amount of physical activity in general, okay, not just the strength training or weightlifting, it's good to aim for a total of five hours of exercise over the course of the week. And I know for a lot of people that sounds like a lot. And it certainly does not need to be five separate hour-long hard workout sessions. It could be three or four resistance training workouts that are less than an hour, plus a couple hours total of like walking, jogging, swimming, cycling, or other just purposeful activity that you're doing. And I know many menopausal women that particularly enjoy doing yoga in addition to their weightlifting sessions just because it helps to really improve their balance and flexibility. Because yes, your balance and flexibility is going to decline as you age too, simply because you don't use it as much. So that five-hour goal of physical activity could seem so far beyond where you're currently at, and that's okay. But you can certainly try to start building up to that over the course of even a year or two. So perhaps start with just two like beginner level strength training workouts per week with some extra walking. And then every two or three months, try to introduce a little bit more. Maybe do one more strength training workout a week. But I think if at the end you're aiming for at least two good strength training workout sessions per week, that is enough to build and maintain your muscle mass. And then you're filling in the gaps with lots of other physical activity. You're doing really well, okay? Unfortunately, the benefits of all this regular ex- exercise, it does extend beyond your bones and your muscles and your metabolism. Physical activity, as we all know, it helps to improve your mood. It does help you sleep better. And it has been shown to have positive impact on hot flashes too. So a bunch of other symptoms that you might be experiencing during pan- perimenopause, regular physical activity can really help mitigate a lot of those. So now let's shift gears and look a little bit closer at your nutrition during this time. The most important thing with your nutrition during menopause or perimenopause is that you're working from a foundation of healthy eating habits. In my experience working with a lot of women across different decades, many women in their 40s, 50s, and 60s have a long history of yo-yo dieting, unfortunately, and a lot of emotional eating tendencies. So they're They're up, down, they're kind of all over the place. Right now, as you're going through this transition with your body, it's crucial for you to break these cycles, this yo-yo cycles, and create a very consistent pattern of eating clean and healthy food. You need to say no to dieting, especially right now. You need to just have some consistency. You hear me say it all the time, but I'm going to repeat myself, okay? some very basic guidelines to help you consistently choose healthy foods. So number one, make sure that you're eating meals at regular intervals throughout the day. If you skip meals, you're missing out on nutrients and those metabolism boosting opportunities, okay? Number two, every time you eat, I need you to choose your pros. So choose protein, that's gonna help those muscles in your metabolism. And I need you to choose plenty of fresh produce, okay? That's going to give you all the nutrients that your body needs to operate at its best. Number three, I need you to work on avoiding processed and packaged foods as much as possible. Really work on aiming for fresh, real foods. 
And if you can follow through with these habits day in and day out, you're going to be in a much better place to handle the majority of your menopausal symptoms, okay? But let's get a little bit more specific about it because I know that you want the specifics, right, when it comes to menopause. Here are some other things that you can consider with your nutrition during this season of your life. So there are certain foods that have shown to help ease menopausal symptoms. In general, eating lots of plant foods can really help. So aim to eat a lot of plant foods, including vegetables, fruits, beans, whole grains, nuts, and seeds. So a lot of plants. And I know many people during perimenopause, they actually feel the benefits of switching to more of a plant-based diet, and it does help significantly. And green leafy vegetables in particular, and nuts and seeds, and legumes like lentils and other beans, these are particularly high in calcium, which helps with bone density. So you need a lot of calcium right now for sure. And then bell peppers, broccoli, citrus fruits, potatoes and yams. These things are all high in vitamin C. And vitamin C has been shown to help improve your mood and help your muscles grow better too. And then we've got wild rice, brown rice, quinoa, and green leafy vegetables. These are all really high in vitamin B and serotonin which can help improve your mood and just your overall energy level too. And then for hot flashes specifically, you can try eating some flax meal daily and then consider including one serving of whole soy foods daily like edamame, tofu, or even tempeh. Those things have somewhat shown to help mitigate the hot flashes. And then it's also important to take fish or algae oil supplements, which will improve your sleep quality. It might also help reduce some mild depression and manage your cardiovascular disease risks a little bit. And then for sleep, (laughs) because this is tricky. I know so many women that are going through menopause right now where sleep is such a challenge. So try avoiding protein, sugar, fat, and even beans right before sleeping. They all take a lot of work to digest. So I'll say that again, protein, sugar, fat, and beans. It's a lot of things, right? Right before sleeping. And you might find though that a small, making sure it's a small, serving of something starchier, like a starchier carb in the evening helps because it does stimulate the release of serotonin. Having a banana or a piece of whole grain toast should do the trick. Don't run off the deep end with this suggestion though, please. It could come back and backfire on you, but melatonin or unison might also be helpful for you too. But there are side effects with any sleep aid, so be careful with that. Just be sure to create a really good bedtime routine with a very predictable sleep schedule, which is honestly the most helpful thing for improving your sleep quality. And another final thing that does seem to help alleviate menopausal symptoms is drinking plenty of water and decaffeinated tea. So especially decaffeinated herbal tea. Now those are the things that you can do or add into your diet to help ease your symptoms. What are some of the foods that actually aggravate those perimenopausal symptoms? Those symptoms most likely will be magnified when you eat a lot of processed foods, by the way, especially processed carbohydrates like chips, crackers, cereals, other refined grains and pastas. 
And you might also notice that processed carbs do a number on your digestive system too. Refined sugars. These will also make your symptoms far worse. So try to limit the amount of candy, sweets, and just sugary beverages that you consume in general. Make sure to deliberately save those for very special occasions, okay? Also pay attention to how you feel when you eat large amounts of meat and dairy products. Sometimes these foods, especially those processed varieties, they might leave you feeling pretty uncomfortable. Start to notice if that's happening and you can begin to limit the amount of those that you're eating if you are noticing that. Also, caffeine and alcohol consumption. These impact your sleep quality as well as other menopausal symptoms, including weight gain, of course. Caffeine, it's also been shown to trigger your hot flashes, so you might feel best limiting your caffeine consumption. Other things that might aggravate your hot flashes are spicy foods, citrus foods, and large meals in general. So those things can make your hot flash symptoms a little bit worse. And it might feel like it wasn't that long ago that you could enjoy a dessert with a cup of coffee in the evening, but now that simple behavior seems to wreak havoc on your entire body on multiple levels. So see if you can try to get in the habit of opting for decaffeinated beverage options and passing on the sugary treats altogether. And see if you can choose just fruit or even just a high cacao percentage chocolate if you're a chocolate lover, something that has very minimal sugar to it. That is going to feel so much better. Okay, take a deep breath. (laughs) That's a lot of information, right? You're like, uh, I don't even know. How am I supposed to do all that? Okay, let me simplify all of these eating recommendations for you a little bit. So I want you to just aim for avoiding processed foods, things with added sugar and caffeine. Okay, so those things are not going to be good for you. So processed foods, especially processed carbs, sugar and caffeine. Also work on eating a variety of plants and lean proteins, as many plants as you can eat. Also, you can try considering eating a small amount of soy-based foods and or some flax meal daily. Definitely drink lots of water and herbal tea. And you can even consider taking a fish or algae oil supplement. Those things might help too. All in all, you guys, I want you to know that perimenopause and menopause in general does not need to be scary. It doesn't need to be this big looming event that you feel like, oh, it's just going to completely take over my body just like pregnancy did and I'm going to be completely out of control. It, it doesn't need to be that way. You are still in control of a lot of things while your body is going through its natural processes, okay? While it's true that there's no cure for menopause and enduring a this hor- hormonal shutdown process is kind of inevitable for our female bodies, there are plenty of things that you can do that help to mitigate those side effects, all right? So right now is the absolute best time to make your health a priority. Remember, because of that hormonal environment going on during perimenopause, you no longer have the freedom or wiggle room that you might have had a few years ago. So stop being flippant with your choices. You need to sit down. Some people would say they need to buckle down, but you just need to be more consistent. Stop dieting, pull yourself together, and consistently make those healthy eating choices. 
get your your exercise on point. You've got to be strength training. You need to be pushing, pulling some sort of a load. You need to be consistently physically active. So just remember that being disciplined and intentional with your exercise, with your eating habits, it's going to pay dividends for you during those perimenopausal years and well beyond that time too. All right, you guys, I threw a ton of information at you today. If you need to, definitely go back and listen again. I will also post a link in the show notes to a couple articles that might be good resources for you. Definitely go check those out and stay tuned as we continue this Strong Mom series. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about pregnancy. So just the other end of the bookend with our with our mom bodies, right? Stay tuned for that. Don't forget, you guys, make sure that you spend a moment to leave a quick review. I really, really do appreciate that. And until next week, we'll talk to you later.